Okay, good evening, everyone. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. And for Larry's sake, uh, there are uh, normally um, two Sunday evenings that are holidays that we don't come to. Uh, Mother's Day, which is the second most important holiday of the year, Christmas being the first. And uh, Easter is the other one that we'll take Sunday night off of. Now, if Christmas ends up on Sunday, we'd probably take Sunday night off of. But um, yeah, I think Fourth of July was on Sunday this year, so we said, uh, go watch the fireworks, you know. But for the most part, just because it's a holiday doesn't mean we don't meet. Um, by the way, Father's Day is the 20th most important holiday of the year. Uh, Halloween is number six, and Arbor Day is number 13, which tells you what people think of fathers. <laughs> Got me. Well, let's uh, read uh, Romans 10, 1 to 3, and uh, then we'll pray. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they disregard the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you again for your love and your care for this opportunity to look into your word. We would ask that you would enlighten our eyes, give us grace to understand not only Israel's unbelief, but uh, recognizing that this was part of your plan, and uh, ultimately you are going to work with them again, and we look forward to that time. Uh, Open our hearts and minds to the things that you have for us so that we may not be like them, uh, and where we are, Lord, that we might uh, change by your grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, notice title, Israel's Failure. Uh, last uh, three weeks, we've been dealing with Israel's unbelief in chapter 9. This is Israel's failure, part 1, ignorance of God's righteousness. <clears throat> Letter A, the place of Israel in God's plan. Uh, before we totally understand that, we need to grab a hold of the concept of truth. Uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth, according to uh, John 1.14, and the Word, that same Word that was with God and that was God in verse 1 and verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, that whole begotten stuff. You remember, uh, I think it's been a couple of months ago, Pastor dealt with the concept of begotten. What does that mean? And uh, in all of my studies uh, and what I was taught was just means it was the, his only son. It's kind of like, well, he got the sons of God, thought, saw that the daughters of men, there's a bunch of sons there. And then you've got us, we're called uh, children of God. It's kind of like, and then pastor in studying it recognized that the begotten was always the one that inherited from the father that which was to be distributed. And so Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, the one that's going to inherit everything. And we get to participate in that. Yes, sir. And we've been adopted as uh, part of his family, and 
If we uh, suffer with him, we're going to reign with him. We're going to inherit with him the things that he inherits. So he was full of grace and truth. Uh, Jesus declared himself to be the source and measure of truth. Ephesians 4.21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Uh, So often we want to talk about uh, who told us about him and maybe what they said about him. But the reality is, is when we're coming to faith, we are coming to him. And he is the uh, measure, uh, the source and measure of truth. Notice abiding in Christ's word was, would cause one to know the truth. In John eight thirty one, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay, that's, that's nice, but notice the next line, knowing the truth would set one free. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When we talk about one that is a disciple, it is someone who is abiding in his word, or if you will, in the truth. That does not mean that we cannot be deceived It does not mean that we're always going to practice the truth correctly, but it does mean that that's where we live, okay? Uh, I know I told you about working out with Billy Haskins down at Complete Supplements a couple weeks ago, and here we are. He's training me, and we're going through all these exercises, and every time I'm allowed to breathe, uh, I'm talking to him about Jesus. Well, this past week, uh, an older retired Air Force guy is in there, and he's in there every day I'm in there, and before you know it, we're talking, and we're talking about Jesus. Why? Because that's what's important to me. And if he wanted to start the conversation, we'd talk about whatever he wanted to talk about, but uh, we're talking about Jesus because, well, that's kind of my job, you know? (laughs) Uh, But so therefore, if you're abiding in Christ's word, you're going to know the truth and the truth sets you free. One of the things about being free indeed is uh, not only knowing intellectually truth, but learning how to put it into practice. And uh, so therefore, when he says this, he's talking about knowing it completely where it is a part of their life and therefore they are set free. Uh, Letter C, everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. John uh, 18, 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, again, we get into that little argument about election and uh, free will and all that kind of stuff. And and here's one right here. Look, uh, if you belong to him, you're going to hear the truth. Uh, And that's both before salvation and after salvation. Because you got a lot of professed salvations that how do they live? Are they really hearing the truth? Do they know him? Uh, And again, that's going to be between them and God. Most of the time, we're not going to know. But notice letter D, being the truth, being the truth. Only those coming through him come to the Father, John 14, 6. You might remember he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that brings us down to the spirit of truth. 
John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you, uh, with you and will be in you. John 15, 26, uh, when, uh, but when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds forth from the father, he will testify of me. So first we see that Jesus is the source and measure of truth. He is uh, the truth that as you get to know him, you are set free. Now we're moving on to the spirit of God or the spirit of truth. <clears throat> According to John sixteen thirteen, the spirit of truth guides believers into all truth. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. Uh, been doing a, a discipleship uh, situation and we're going through a theology that's about this thick doing 10, 20 pages at a time. And we just went through bibliology. We're in theology proper now. And uh, when you get to inerrancy and authority of the Word of God, uh, it makes some really good points. But then they get into the whole concept of the canonization, uh, 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 recognizing books that were written and the fact that they belong in, in the Bible. Uh, back there, 312, 325, there was a, a council where men basically they had everything that we have today. Okay? A lot of people, especially in this progressive Christianity movement, a lot of people think that, first of all, the Bible was written by men. Second of all, men kept certain books out of the Bible. And if you, knew, if you had those books, then, then your faith would be complete. Kind of like, oy vey. <laughs> you have the Gospel of Thomas. Well, Jesus, when he was a kid, was making uh, doves out of clay, and then he was touching them and making them come to life. Uh, let me see, when was his first miracle? John chapter 2, right? So this is contradictory to Scripture, and John was recognized as being uh, inspired by the Spirit of God, consistent with the Word of God, recognized as John was the author. And so therefore, John's good, but when we get over here to Thomas, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't think that's really Thomas writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. And then, of course, you got the Gospel of Judas. What happened to Judas? Anybody remember what happened to Judas? He did a very poor job of hanging himself. He succeeded, but it was a poor job. Um, and that is somewhere between 27 and 33 uh, A.D. The Gospel of Thomas is written somewhere probably uh, 90 to 100 and something A.D. So um, to, uh, a Judas, I mean, the Gospel of Judas. So therefore, Judas isn't the author. And the Gospel of Judas is teaching Gnosticism in its infant form, which most of the books of the New Testament teach against. Hmm. So they didn't miss any books of the Bible. Um, they were prayerfully considering what they had and recognizing the spirit of truth's work in those books. And so that, that's how that whole thing came about. That's why we have the Bible that we have today. And it, if you study Greek and Hebrew, 
we have a good copy of the Bible. You can be confident that, yeah, you might be looking at a, a black and white TV compared to a color TV, but you get to see the picture, okay? It's, it's not a problem. So he guides believers into all truth. Uh, he doesn't speak of himself. Uh, one of the problems that we've kind of had with the charismatic movement over the years is it's all about the Spirit. Well, Jesus tells us right here, the Spirit isn't going to be saying, hey, everybody, look at me. He's going to be, hey, everybody, look at him. Okay? So he's not going to speak of himself, but he speaks what he hears. Oh, by the way, that's exactly what Jesus said he did. He says, I can do nothing of my own. I see and hear what the Father is doing, and that's what I tell you. That's what I do. Uh, so same thing. And then letter B, he uses the truth to sanctify people. John seventeen seventeen, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, and for they, their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then in 2 Thessalonians two thirteen. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, uh, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, uh, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So you can see Jesus and the Spirit working together so that people would know truth. They would be changed by that truth. But that also brings us to number three, judgment by the truth. Romans 2, 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Uh, you might remember Romans 1, 1 speaks to anyone who judges someone else. And we find out in the context that here they are judging, but they're guilty of doing the very same things. Well, God is not like that. He judges by truth. Occasionally, my wife will come to me and say, Here's the way I'm looking at it. Just tell me if I need some correction here. And, and normally she's got a very discerning spirit. She recognizes this is what the truth says. This is what they're doing. Yeah, but we don't know all of the facts. And so since we don't know all of the facts, to come to that conclusion, we might be right. We might not be. So in the meantime, until we find out more, we treat them with grace love. If we have to go and talk to them, we do so. Uh, but uh, we don't just judge people because with the measure that you judge, you're going to be judged. So notice uh, this is God who's judging. And letter A, those who perish, well, why are they being judged? Because they didn't receive the truth. Second Thessalonians 2, 10 and 12, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So truth is a pretty important thing as you're coming down this list with me. Letter B, reliance on one, one's own knowledge and understanding falls short. Romans 2.8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath is what they're going to get. 2 Timothy 2.18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. 
2 Timothy 3, 7 and 8, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith and 2 Timothy 4, 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And again, if you uh, listen to social media at all, and catch some of these progressive Christians. Whew. Turn aside to fables. Uh, God, well, I already told you one about Jesus being a racist, having been uh, rebuked, and he repented of his racism. Um, how about homosexuality? God is totally okay with all of that because it's really love. It's kind of like, this, this is a fable, Okay. Uh, 1986, U.S. News and World Report did a survey among, um, I think it was a thousand homosexual men. Uh, 86 was right after uh, they came out of the closet, and uh, it was an alternative love style. And out of a thousand men, they found that the average male had 573 partners. I'm sorry, that's not love, okay? And, and having been dominated by lust, in the past, I can tell you, yeah, that's not love. That's just, that's just lust. Now, I'm not saying that every homosexual fits into that category. But average was 573. That means some might only have one. And a bunch of others got a bunch more. Okay? So, uh, and, and that was 1986 when it wasn't quite as acceptable as it is today. So you can imagine what's going on in this day and age. So let's come down to the Jews and the truth. Were the Jews concerned with truth? Well, Romans 2, 17 through 20 says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. Obviously, uh, in Paul's second chapter there, he, he's trying to get all the people that didn't fall into Romans chapter 1 guilty by association because they were judging the people in Romans chapter 1. Or being Jewish, they thought, hey, look at us. We got the Word of God. We're doing okay. And yet he says to them, you don't even teach, oh, live by the truth. But they were boasting in it. So they were concerned with it somewhat. Uh, rabbis who were often scribes, the word rabbi means teacher, master, father. Uh, they were carefully instructed in Jewish traditions, which often wrongly interpret Scripture and even sometimes are contradictory to Scripture. It, it is interesting, and once again, for those of you that are going to be offended, be offended now, and then I'll talk. Um, Catholic doctrine, not talking about your Catholic neighbor that you really like and think might be saved, not talking about your Catholic family member that you hope is going to heaven. I'm talking about what the church teaches. If you go back and see what they teach, they align themselves very much with the Jewish leadership uh, as far as the things that they do. They have the traditions of the church, and they have the Word of God. And if there's ever a conflict between the two, 
the magisterium, the papal decrees, the traditions of the church, and stuff like that, is more important than the Word of God. Jewish people did exactly the same thing. These scribes, rabbis, and uh, so on, uh, they, had, they were taught their Jewish traditions, and if there was a conflict between the two, the Jewish tradition was going to be that which was held up, even if it was contradictory to Scripture. Number three, they were thought to be the possessors of truth, the rabbis were the possessors of truth. They were so esteemed that their teachings, teachings were seldom questioned. Now, we're a teaching church, and Pastor and I have both told you how many times be Bereans, is study it, ask questions. Uh, we are, we're not the possessors of truth. We're looking to the Word of God. We're hopefully discerning it well enough that we're teaching it. There are some things in the Word of God that, I don't know, you know, God doesn't fit into my little box. Uh, I, I may understand an awful lot of things. But when we're talking about a finite being, understanding an infinite being, yeah, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's not me talking. That's God talking. <laughs> okay? So, yeah, the, we, we could be wrong on some things. In fact, when we're especially dealing with uh, what pastor's dealing with on Sunday mornings, even though I thought that today was like, mm, right on. <laughs> but when you're talking about prophecy, we think we see this is how it's going to work. We'll see how it works. Okay, now as far as the pre-tribulation rapture, this is the, uh, how do we say it in our doctrinal statement? Truths um, most dearly held. Why? Because, well, we got mid-trib people out there. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. We got uh, post-trib people out there. We got pre-wrath people out there. We have amillennialist brothers and sisters out there. They're all wrong, but until we know for certain, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just hold, dearly hold that one. <laughs> And, and uh, yes, I am joking, even though there's a part of me that says, no, I'm not. Uh, moving right along. Uh, what's that? <laughs> there you go. Um, so uh, they were so esteemed that their teachings were seldom questioned. Let her see. In the time of Christ, most Jews spoke Aramaic. What's the Old Testament in? Hebrew. So they didn't. They couldn't read it for themselves. And so therefore, they were dependent upon whatever the rabbis taught them. And therefore, the rabbis had an additional advantage in their interpretation of Scripture. Oh, you, you just don't understand the nuances of the Hebrew. That, that would be one of those things that we could say, you know? It's kind of, wow. So that brings us to spiritual ignorance and its consequences. In Isaiah 5, 13, it says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. If you look at what's happening in this country and understand that civics, just good old-fashioned government classes and what the Constitution teaches, haven't been taught, at least very well, for a long time, and therefore, we look at the government as though they're the ones who know, they're the ones that are going to take care of us, they're there, there, and it's kind of like, no, 
No, no. It's ignorance that's brought about that thinking. And you find that thinking even in the church. So we're not just talking about them out there. Uh, you still have people in the church that think that Trump somehow could, could save us all. And it doesn't bother me if he gets reelected and exposes more of the swamp. But I promise you, he, he's not going to we, we've gone past Romans 1, uh, 24, past Romans 1, 26. We're, we're past Romans 1, 28. We've been given over to a depraved mind. We are seeing Babylon being lived out in front of us as we saw this morning. And so exile, or if you will, letter B, destruction, and the loss of the generation, Hosea 4, 6. Uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God and I will also forget your children. We've seen over the last how many years where a lot of kids that are raised in the church leave. Some of them come back after they get married and they, they have kids. They start recognizing the responsibility that they have and they may come back, but plenty of them are leaving and they're not coming back. Why? Spiritual ignorance. Um, and, and if you're not sure about that, I've got on my desk uh, a survey of what uh, evangelicals believe in America. And when, uh, I think it's like only 60% of evangelicals believe that there's a hell. Uh, and therefore God's going to judge people and send them there. Uh, it's kind of like, wow. Uh, spiritual ignorance, destruction, the loss of the next generation. How about rebellion? Uh, Isaiah 1, 2 through 4. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evil doers, children who are corruptors. Just consider the don't say gay bill that doesn't say gay down in Florida. People who are corrupting children by dealing with that whole sexualization thing. Uh, corruptors who are, uh, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. And then letter D, God's loathing. When people reject truth and reject him and are they're spiritually ignorant, God loathes them. Psalm 95.10, For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. And then, of course, that all showed itself for Israel in letter E, the rejection of their Messiah. That brings us to our passage. 27 minutes introduction. <laughs> so that brings us to letter B, Paul's desire and prayer. Knowing God's plan doesn't change Paul's love for his people. Uh, you might remember back there in uh, Romans 9, uh, 1 to 3, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief for my heart, in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. I don't know about you, but when I look at what's happening to this country, it, it breaks my heart. I know as a Christian, uh, our, our minds and hearts are supposed to be so 
uh, pointed towards heaven that this all doesn't matter. Uh, to see what God did in the development of this country and the way he blessed this country and to see where we are now because we said, thanks God, but no thanks, we don't need you anymore. And to see what's happened in my lifetime, it breaks my heart. To, to see kids singing the Star Spangled Banner and recognizing that Yeah, I'm not sure that flag is waving the way Francis Scott was asking the question about because we're going down the tubes. Now, mind you, do I think we as a country deserve it? 100%. But it doesn't mean it doesn't break my heart. Same thing here for Paul. Uh, His heart's desire and prayer. Notice uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Uh, his desire there is eudokia. It basically means he, he delighted in uh, this idea that Israel would be saved. Uh, the word for prayer is desis. It conveys pleading, consistent petition. So this was something that was on Paul's mind all the time. He, he, yes, notice letter B, that they may be saved. They would place trust in their Messiah, whom they'd already rejected, that as a nation they would be saved. Um, If we go to the second part of your outline here, Paul understood God's sovereignty in his plan for Israel. Paul's calling was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You'll see that in Romans 11.3 and Acts 9.15. The apostles had been been given God's plan to reach the world in Acts 1.8 said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. Well, Paul's really all about the uttermost part of the earth part. The apostles, they were supposed to go throughout the world. Why? Because they were going to be preaching to the Jews. Paul was going to be preaching to the Gentiles. Notice Jesus said that salvation is from the Jews in uh, John for, it's here someplace, there it is, (laughs) you worship, speaking to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. God had, when you go to the gospel, um, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, that's what the gospels are all about. This is the Christ, the one, the, the blessed one of God, the, the uh, appointed one of God, the Messiah. Look at his life. Compare it to Old Testament Scripture. This is the guy, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And we know that if a person uh, confesses him as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they're saved. Okay, Uh, that's the easy part, if you will. But the gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. And the Jews, they should have been looking for this. But they weren't. And that brings us to letter B there. Uh, In Romans 1.16, the gospel being the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Paul normally started his preaching in Jewish places of worship. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Acts 13, 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch of Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. 
Uh, Acts 14.1, now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, uh, believed. Uh, Acts 16.13, and on the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and uh, they sat down and spoke to the women who were there. So it was his customary practice to go to Jewish places of worship and preach to Jewish people first. But in Acts chapter 18, there seems to be this final conflict with the Jews where Paul says, uh, well, notice Paul's recognition of Israel's rejection of Messiah as God's plan to save the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 18, verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, he was already going to the Gentiles. Basically, what he's saying at this point is, I'm not messing with the Jewish people anymore. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to the Gentiles, and I still love my people. I want them to be saved, but they have utterly rejected their Messiah, and therefore uh, I'm doing what God wants me to do, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I imagine... Uh, the news got around. I'm not sure how much they were together. Of course, the Bible doesn't tell us that kind of stuff. Ultimately, they both end up in Rome, uh, not too far apart. And Paul gets beheaded and Peter gets uh, crucified upside down is what they say. After he watched his wife crucified, Peter's wife supposedly was crucified first and um, he encouraged her while she died and then they hung him upside down because uh, he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. But how much they got together and talked, we don't know. Uh, we do know that God gave Peter an opportunity to also preach to Gentiles. And if you look at where all of the apostles went, ultimately they all ended up speaking to Gentiles. But their job was to go and reach his people. And I imagine they may have come to the same conclusions as Paul in time, but uh, we don't have that information for us. So that brings us to the Jews having zeal without knowledge. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He spoke from his personal experience and knowledge of zeal. When he's looking at them, he's seeing, yeah, that, that was me just not too long ago. Acts 22, 3, I am in, indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city of the, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Acts 26, 4 and 5. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at, is, at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. If, they're, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And then in Galatians 1, 13 and 14, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. This is the zeal that they have toward God, that he had toward God. And I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. 
So he he recognized zeal for what it was, but he also uh, spoke of the extent of his zeal in Philippians 3, 5, and 6. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Whole point being was he he could see zeal for what zeal was. But notice, number two, they had zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The word knowledge there is epigenosis, recognition, full discernment, acknowledgement. It comes only from a saving relationship uh, to God. The reality is, is what does Paul say in Corinthians about unbelievers understanding the Word of God? They can't. It's foolishness to them. But because we have the Spirit of God in us, we look at the Word of God, we may not understand everything. Some things are revealed later as we mature. But the reality is, is we look at it and say, how come you don't understand that? That's kind of easy, you know? Uh, well, they can't because they need that relationship with God. Uh, true uh, acknowledgement or full uh, discernment causes humility and holiness. Uh, in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Because understanding those things, having full discernment, is going to change the way you live. Okay, when you understand the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, yeah, anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself because he is pure. Number two, Paul understood, oops, sorry about that. I went, I went back too far. I got rid of one page and then immediately went to the top of the page that we're already halfway through. Uh, so causes humility and holiness. Letter B, the Jews had a certain degree of gnosis intellectual awareness of the outward demands of God's law. Uh, Romans 9.31, uh, which was what we studied last week. Oops, excuse me. Let me just grab this page here. Uh, 31 says, But Israel, pursuing the law for righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Okay, they, they, they understood. Here's what God's law says. Here's how we're going to live it out but uh, they totally missed it. Number two, the kind of knowledge that causes pride and arrogance. In uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So when you're dealing with your relationship with God and you have the knowledge of God, it brings about humility and holiness But when it's just a matter of intellectual knowledge, that puffs a person up. It causes them to be proud. Uh, Number three, Judaizers were looking to get others to follow the law. You know, here Christ has died. Paul is doing all these missionary trips. And in the midst of all this, some Jewish people who claim to be saved... They're following him around and they're saying, you know, it's great that you've trusted in Jesus to be saved. Now what you need to do, you need to get circumcised. 
You need to follow the law. Not unlike the Seventh-day Adventist church in some ways there. Uh, In Galatians 4.17, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They, They want you to follow them like uh, the Jewish people followed the Pharisees instead of following Christ. So uh, the Jews had a certain degree of gnosis, but they didn't have epigenosis. Letter D, ignorant unsubmission. A lack of knowledge is tied to a lack of faith. Those vocal cords are vibrating and can get kind of dry and and they want to cough. <laughs> Notice they stumbled over the stumbling block or stumbling stone in Romans chapter 9, what we studied last week. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it, righteousness, by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. They couldn't believe that it was just as easy as putting their trust in the Messiah, the one that God had sent. No, 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 we, we have to do, we have to do, we have to do. Uh, the, the lack of knowledge is tied to a lack of faith. Letter B, Israel's rejection was not due to arbitrary divine election. Sometimes when people get going on this election thing, they sit there and say, well, you know, Israel's uh, unbelief is because God got busy electing people over here. No, first of all, election happened from before the foundations of the world. Okay, so yes, if you want to get technical, this was part of God's plan. They were ultimately not going to believe uh, a part of his plan, not a big problem. But notice, uh, let me, there we go. Uh, The whole of scriptures are a testimony of God's calling Israel to himself. Uh, The Old Testament, you see where he's done it, where he had to discipline them, where ultimately he had to reject them. Uh, I think it's uh, Jeremiah chapter 5. It might be a different chapter, but it's actually written in the form of a writ of divorcement. And you can see the Spirit of God. uh, It's in Ezekiel where he leaves the Holy of Holies and comes to the door of the temple and stops and turns around and looks back. And then he gets out of the temple and goes to the gate of the city and stops and turns around and looks back and goes up to the Mount of Olives and stops and turns around and looks back. He doesn't want to, but these people have rejected and that's it. My presence is not going to be there anymore. And it ascends into heaven, uh, the the Shekinah glory. And uh, so the Old Testament tells us about that. The New Testament tells us about their, though they may not be involved in idolatry anymore, the uh, exile took care of that, but they still didn't accept the one that God had sent them. Uh, think about it with me. When you're reading Daniel chapter 9 and you've got the 69 weeks of Daniel and you know approximately when it was written and you count out your 483 years they know Messiah's coming. I mean, on the 69th week, he's going to be cut off. I wonder how that one's going to happen. We're not interested in any of that. We want the guy to come and take over Rome, which I understand, but they rejected the only one that could have saved them. And so the New Testament is, okay, 
Here's what we're going to do in the meantime, but understand we're coming back and we're going to deal with these people. So God's election is to, of Israel is taught throughout the scriptures. Israel was entrusted with the oracles of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 2. Israel had rejected God before God had rejected them. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 21, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, that passage could apply to any group of people, but doesn't it also apply to Israel? They knew God. They didn't give him his rightful place in their life, and their foolishness showed itself after that. So they had rejected him. Number two, willingly and inexcusably ignorant. For they, uh, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they sought to establish their own righteousness. Um, I find it interesting that there's, I don't know, is there like 4,000 different religions in the world? And all of them but one teach in some manner or another that you have to do, you have to do, you have to do, you have to be a pretty good person. And only one religion, and oh, by the way, a bunch of religions are called by the name of this one, Christian. It is finished. We believe the gospel. God changes us from the inside out. That's why we do anything because of the work that he's done in us. We're not doing to get there. We're going. And his life shows itself in us. And yet um, people can't seem to put two and two together there. So uh, they uh, sought to establish their own righteousness uh, one of the reasons why Catholic doctrine uh, teaches the need for good works is because in their theology, Jesus died for Adam's sin. The sin that you were born in, that's been dealt with. But not your sin. That's why when you sin, you have to confess, you have to do penance, you have to give extra money, and then spend a little bit of time in purgatory to pay for your sin. Wow, I'm glad that's not true. Okay? When we come back to the Bible, he paid for all of my sin. Everything that was held against me, he nailed it to the cross. <laughs> so thankful for that. But they're trying to establish their own righteousness, and they don't submit to the righteousness of God. Number three, one can boast if you, uh, if you change the standard to what is doable. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 5 to 8. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? 
But they eat bread with unwashed hands. Boy, I'd really be guilty. Uh, they answered and said to him, uh, he answered and said to them, well, did Pro- Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And then, of course, we also have uh, Romans one twenty three. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. When you change the standard you get to boast. The problem is, is there's no boasting when you stand before the one who set the standard. Ouch. Letter B, God is not like man-made gods. Psalm 5.5, the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. Psalm 7.11, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Um, One of the things that uh, even the evangelical church struggles with is that God hates some people. Oh, no, no. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's kind of like, I think it's uh, Psalm 13. Says God loves the soul. uh, God hates the soul that loves violence. Now the word violence there is used in Proverbs many times of deceitful. So God hates the soul of the one who loves deceit. Let me see. Media, politicians, some preachers. See what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's all in the Old Testament. Hey, does God change because we come to the New Testament? No, he's very grace-oriented toward those very people. He lets them continue to lie. Ow. But he hates what they're doing. And if they stay on that path, he hates them. Okay? And so they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They've changed the standard. They've made it so that they can do it. But God isn't like the God that they make him out to be. Uh, He will ultimately deal with them. Let her see. A weakened understanding of God's righteousness brings a weakened view of his judgment. Uh, the, the woke churches today that are trying to allow for transgenderism and use the right pronouns and, and homosexuality is totally okay and uh, women can be preachers and da-da-da-da-da-da, all of that stuff. Uh, notice what it says, a weakened understanding of God's righteousness. What does God say about those subjects? And everybody wants to say, well, we're not under the law. That's back there in Leviticus, Romans chapter 1. We don't have to go to Leviticus. We're in the New Testament. Okay, we're not even in the Gospels, which was lived out under the Old Covenant. We're in the New Covenant. He gave them over to do what ought not to be done. Receiving in themselves. Ouch. Okay, so... When you weaken that, you weaken God's judgment. I'll give you a couple examples here. Uh, Psalm 50, verses 16 through 21. But to the wicked, God says, 
What right have you to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him. You've been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit at, uh, sit and speak against your brother. Uh-oh. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you, and I will set them in order before your eyes. Isaiah 6, 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Now, Isaiah is an adult. Yes, this is probably his call into the ministry. He has seen the Lord high and lifted up. And then he realizes he's got a problem with cussing. He didn't realize it before? A weakened view of God's righteousness. And therefore, what I was doing before is okay. Now, why do I say this? My mouth, I struggle with it sometimes. I grew up in bars, foster homes, and so on. Language, yeah, we, we could cuss with the best of them. And it's still one of those things I struggle with from time to time, especially when life does not go the way I think it ought to. What am I thinking about God's righteousness at that moment? Who? I'm not, exactly. Uh, and uh, it's uh, one of those things maybe we need to reconsider. How about Luke chapter 5, verse 8? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, this is probably about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. The disciples have been with him. They've come back to fishing. They've been with him. They've come back to fishing. And about halfway through his ministry, he does this little miracle. And Peter goes, Whoa. At which point, from then on, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And they didn't come back to him until after the resurrection. Uh, at which point, he's confronted again. Peter, do you love these more than me? Okay? Uh, so, a weakened understanding of God's righteousness brings a weakened view of his judgment. Number three, Jeremiah speaks of what man should boast. In Jeremiah nine twenty three through 24, it says... Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Or Paul puts it this way, and to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Israel didn't do this. Lord willing, you have, and therefore God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him because that's the only way we can stand before him. Because even after being saved, we still fall so short. So Israel, they didn't get it. Hopefully you have, and therefore you'll continue to grow and mature in your understanding of who God is, and therefore be fruitful, like Pastor was talking about, being made in the image. Well, that image has been restored. 
we have a new heart, a new spirit. We have the Spirit of God, the law of God written on our hearts. He's causing us to walk in His ways. Okay, don't, don't fight against it. Be a part of it. And understand that ultimately, as we get through these next two chapters, we're going to see that God is going to bring Israel back into this new covenant also. So, well, get you out five minutes early. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll let you go. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for your love and your care for us. Thank you for opening our eyes to truth. We recognize, Lord, that Israel thought they had truth, and I'm sure they did in a lot of ways. But in the ways that counted, they totally missed it. And I know we're totally capable of that. We're, we get uh, our little systematic uh, ways of understanding things, and, and we don't depend upon the Spirit of God to enlighten our eyes. We know what we know, and no one can tell us different. Father, give us grace to be humble, to look for the truth that you reveal in your word, that we may walk with you, humble and holy, for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.